Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the AP Lit Cast, hosted by me, Cameron Mahon, Lucas McCrath, and um, I'm Caleb Zalowski. And today, we'll be analyzing Ellie Weasel's Night through a multi-genre perspective, where, we'll be, where we will be analyzing both poems, a few different shorts, including non-fiction memoirs, a non-fiction informational, and a historical fiction piece, as well as finding four pieces of media from a current article or visual art piece, and then we'll be taking you through a series of museum stats that all relate to the Holocaust and the themes shared by Ellie Weasel in his memoir, Night. We're going to be beginning the podcast with analyzing our poetry. We chose three poems, one of us each, and they are as follows. The Action in the Ghetto of Rohatan, March 1942 by Alexander Kamel. Do Not Go Gentle into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. And Song for the Old Ones, Maya Angelou. While all three poems are of note, we only have time to share one with you today. We will take you through a brief reading and analysis of the tone, mood, and theme of the poem and how it relates to Weasel's Night. Cameron, start us off, please. This is The Action in the Ghetto of Rohatan, March 1942, by Alexander Kamel. Do I want to remember the peaceful ghetto before the raid? Children shaking like leaves in the wind. Mothers searching for a piece of bread. Shadows on swollen legs, moving with fear. No, I don't want to remember, but how can I forget? Do I want to remember the creation of hell, the shout of the raiders enjoying the hunt, cries of the wounded begging for life, faces of mothers carved with pain, hiding children dripping with fear? No, I don't want to remember, but how can I forget? Do I want to remember my fearful return, families vanished in the mist of day, the mass grave steaming with vapor of blood. Mothers searching for children in vain. The pain of the ghetto cuts like a knife. No, I don't want to remember, but how can I forget? Do I want to remember the wailing of the night? The doors kicked ajar, ripped feathers floating in the air. The night scented with snow melting blood. While the compassionate moon is showing the way for the faceless shadows Searching for Ken. No, I don't want to remember, but I cannot forget. Do I want to remember this world upside down, where the departed are blessed with an instant death, while the living condemned to a short, wretched life, and a long, torturous journey into unnamed place, converting souls into ashes and gas? No, I have to remember, and never let you forget. The mood of this poem is painful reminiscence. This is similar to Elie Wiesel's Night, where at the end of the book, his father dies, and the final months of captivity play out. What I want to highlight that really shows the theme and the turning point of the poem is Starkins with the line, no, I don't want to remember, but I cannot forget. And that just makes me think back to how throughout the entire book they were saying how this was something that they cannot ever leave. They can't, they always will remember this. They will always 
know that this was in one part of their life. There's something like they just can't forget. Yeah, he um, Alexander Kamel really tries to use the brutal imagery throughout the poem uh, to show just how much physical, emotional, and mental trauma has went through the survivors of the Holocaust and even those who have died. And it this turning point breaks from the rest. How he how can he forget? But he knows he just can't because if he forgets, it's similar to the uh, famous line those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. The tone is painful hopelessness to go with this uh, rather painful reminiscence. But at the end, he doesn't want us to forget. It's The tone is taking on a courageous goal so that no one can forget what happened in the Holocaust. And that's really the theme, trying to use brutal and horrific imagery to show that these atrocities happen and they should never happen again. A very powerful piece with a powerful message that I feel is important to always keep in mind, regardless of how many times we hear it. There are countless depictions of this message through different types of literature, which brings us to our next section, the shorts. <coughs> we as a group did a historical fiction, fiction informational piece and a nonfiction memoir. We only have time to give you the historical fiction and nonfiction informational piece, but the nonfiction memoir, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, is still a worthwhile read and we re all recommend it. Caleb, tell us about the informational piece you analyzed. I did mine on the Rwandan genocide that took place in Africa. And it started roughly around 1959 with between, it was mainly around like an ethical kind of thing. It was between Hoodoos and I believe the Tutsi. Um, the Tutsi were, uh, there was a lot less of them in the country than, than the Hutus. And they were actually forced to flee the, the, the country. 300,000 of them left. And after this is a long history over, over, over decades. And after that, there was motivated killings and violence that took place all over the country. Eventually the, um, they had around, I believe 800,000 people were killed and it was supported by the, by the, by the government who actually on the radio was encouraging neighbors to kill each other which is ridiculous. But after all of this, they finally got to somewhere that's a bit more normal, but still it's not, not, it's not the same as what it was before 1959 when this all began. And it relates pretty well tonight because it is another ethically influenced like violence towards a different group of people, different beliefs. Um, so I believe I would be led to believe that, uh, like they didn't believe that the Tutsi or the Hoodoo would have, they did not mention which one was actually killed. I think it was a bit of both, but, um, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I don't know where I was. Cameron, do you remember? Uh, you were relating to the ethically charged differences between the, what was it again? I believe it was, do you mean between the Hutu and the Tutsi? Yes. The, the, 
I don't know if that's <laughs> what it's called. Right. I had never looked up the actual how right. you yeah. yeah. Right, and it's very similar to the Holocaust in World War Two. It was very ethically charged. No, ethnically charged, not ethically. It wasn't. It wasn't ethical. <laughs> not at all. No. Um, it was the Germans versus the Jews, and the superior Aryan race that the Nazis promoted. And it also shares similarities that the Rwandan genocide is not nearly as popular as the Holocaust. No. And even today, people try and deny the Holocaust happening and try and demote these the informational piece like you've said and stuff like the poems that we've read um, that try to promote a message of remembering the Holocaust and making sure it never happens. The Rwandan genocide is very, very much less popular. It is not... I didn't hear about it until I actually looked up and tried to research things that were similar tonight. Yeah, it, I never knew about it because it just it wasn't something that was as big of a deal, I guess, in, like according to the world. It was. It's very under the radar, and even people today, like those who do know about it, often encounter people who say it doesn't even exist. It wasn't a thing. It was like this this tale out of lands that they don't know about, and that that is a shame because it is it kind of demotes the message that we see in the poems and the pieces and the memoirs that we read. It, like we need to remember these things so they don't happen, regardless of who it happens to. It's still a horrible thing. Yeah. Um, now let's actually hear from a fictional piece. It's probable, but it actually did not happen. Um, Lucas, you did that. Uh, what that you found? <laughs> so the historical fiction book I chose to do was The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And I thought there were a couple of uh, pretty obvious similarities between this book and Ellie Wiesel's Night. One of the similarities being... Um, in the boy in the striped pajamas, Bruno, the main character, becomes friends with this uh, Jew. His name is Schmel, I think. I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it for sure. But the striking similarity between Ellie Wiesel's night and <clears throat> and Schmel and boy in striped pajamas are so similar. And being that <clears throat> uh, they both arrive on the train that is packed full of full of people and both of their mothers are taken to the crematoriums and they both are left with father, their fathers. So there's pretty similar right there. And then also a difference between the boy in the striped pajamas and Ellie Wiesel's night is that Ellie Wiesel, when he like talks to the story of how they got to Auschwitz, it's more like explicit and it like describes everything around and like it just makes it seem more like sad almost while the boy in the striped pajamas is sad you have to infer a lot of the stuff there's not a lot of as many details because it the story is coming from bruno who is a german and not shmuel be so he can't really give that many specifics because it's hard for a german to like understand and it's not his story like it was Ellie Wiesel's night, or Ellie Wiesel. 
So is Br- Bruno Bruno meets uh, Shmuel, like how does he meet him? Like through the fence or something? Yeah, through he the live fence. Nearby? Yeah, they, uh, Bruno moves like to right next to Auschwitz, like right on the other side of the fence because his dad is a uh, German officer that he's like a pretty big German officer. So they move there and that's where Bruno sees a bunch of people over the fence and he meets Shmuel like randomly pretty much. What's Bruno's like thoughts on all of that? Does he understand what's going on? Not really. That's another thing. They, he doesn't understand at all. He thinks that over the fence is actually like good. Like he thinks they have it better over the fence because he doesn't see what happens over there. And it, this is a little bit of a spoiler, not that big of a spoiler, but he eventually sneaks under the fence and goes over there and actually realizes how much worse it is. He thinks. He always just thought that he had it worse, though. I feel like that's a really good connection. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, the similar tonight, but it's a good connection to also mm-hmm. see the outside perspective and yep. see that some people may not have even really known how yeah. bad it was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, because we're so short on time, we are going to move on to the art piece. So Caleb, could you introduce the art piece to us, please? All right. So we analyzed one op-ed piece, um, about the massacre in Syria by CNN. And we did two art pieces. Um, the one of them is called Death March by Jan Hartman. Um, but the one that we are going to be talking about today is called The Creation of Adam by Michael and Angelo. Um, and this piece I chose personally, and it is just about, it shows God extending his arm towards Adam. And I saw it as kind of like the creation of life, but that was the detail, but that wasn't exactly why I chose it. I chose it because of its, is of its like religious background because throughout the book, Ellie, in the beginning, he is completely for, like, God. He actually goes out and tries to learn more about what he can do to, like, pray. And as the story goes on, you can see that other people are praying to God. And Ellie's opinion is that, like, they, he doesn't understand why they're still praying. He feels like God has left them, has betrayed them. So throughout the book, from the start, he's with God, but at the end, I feel like he wasn't. I feel like he believes in God, but he feels like God left them to die. And that's why I chose this piece, because I felt like it wasn't, it didn't exactly, like, it wasn't, like, parallel to the book, but it was pretty big, because throughout the book, we are told about how Ellie's beliefs kind of, like, change as the holocaust continues yeah i do see how the um religious part of it, it the painting uh really the, the, with showing the religious part of it the holocaust and the death camps were formed to break down not only just you know exterminating people also break down the jewish beliefs the jewish yeah. traditions and just eradicate them from society it's like basically well what's the word kind of like a caving out the soul of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just like an empty hollow and there's nothing left. So even if there was the chance that they did fail at it, they like tradition wouldn't survive. But thankfully to this day, that culture is still around. Yeah. Our final stop on the AP LitCast is our trip through a virtual tour of the National Holocaust Museum. We stopped at the Killing Center slash Gas Chambers exhibition, and then the Permanent Exhibition, which is um, kind of the introduction to the Holocaust, Hitler's Rise to Power, and the beginning of the Final Solution. The one we're going to be talking about today is the Jews of Vejuski. Uh, exhibition that you encounter twice through your trip through the museum. You walk in on a uh, walkway and there's open space on both sides of you, a very high ceiling, um, and it drops down below where you can see another walkway where you'll later enter again. And covering these walls with basically no uh, spare space are just photos of family, all of them someone different, all of them families different. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, it's when you enter, it's just kind of solemn and you don't know who they are, but you all these people are people long gone from the uh, town of Bejuski. You'll never they were killed in the Holocaust or um, otherwise just didn't survive past it. And it's it, it helps with night because you see like all these people, especially at the beginning of the book. You see all these people just get carted off to the crematorium. And that's kind of the last you ever hear of them. They'll be mentioned from time and time again. It's kind of like a side note. But it's just those faceless people that Elie Wiesel encountered throughout his entire trip that we never learned their names. We barely maybe even got in description if we were lucky. And seeing all these people, these are real people with families, homes, jobs, loves, and dislikes as like all of us and they were treated so poorly so horribly and it just it relates kind of to the end message of night where he has his um noble prize speech where he, he needs us all to remember when you walk in there it feels like it's almost impossible to remember it's almost impossible to like see and gather all these different people all these different names like so many were lost and it's not even a fraction of how many were lost everyone in that room and it's just kind of it's like it's depressing it's very depressing and you encounter after the permanent exhibition and then after the killing centers and gas chambers you see their conditions you go through it again and you see completely new people from the same town that died and it makes you want to learn it makes you want to figure out what more can be done to remember and it really helps with night and picturing to some of the average, normal, everyday people that were lost in the yeah. Holocaust. <clears throat> I feel like at night you only get a fraction of like the type of people who are lost and like the certain situations like Ellie Viso was put in that he was lost. You don't get like every situation of every different person there. Whereas in the museum, you kind of, there's like stuff in there that kind of shows what, someone might go through that you might not have want or noticed in uh the night in the fact that um the only way to leave is to continue through the museum i feel like it was a really good idea that they made 
because it kind of shows us how like powerful everything is. That might be the wrong word, but it's just how dark everything was back then. Like what actually happened, the reality of the situation. Definitely. It's supposed to take you on through the same trip, I think, with the extent, like, the only way out is to go through it all, is that was how it was for people in the Holocaust. The only way out yeah. was to just yeah, go definitely. through all of it. Mm-hmm. So, we hope, this is all we have time for today, and we hope that what you've learned here today and what we've brought to light some of the things we didn't talk about you'll be able to check out yourself if you're so inclined we hope to kind of instill the same message that ellie Wiesel's night wants to do we want everyone to remember the horror and to make sure it never happens again and i think by taking these kind of personal anecdotes from the people that went through it is a very important step to take in doing so um, we also want to acknowledge um Green Lakes Energy for the Touchstone Energy Classroom grant that made this podcast possible. And we will see you all on the next AP Litcast. There's not going to be one.